Hello, it's Natalia Lloyd and welcome to my podcast, Beehive Household. As part of my interior design business, my first chat with my clients is a deep dive into their lifestyle and daily routines to be able to understand how they use their homes. And this is where the idea for this podcast came from. So subscribe and listen to find out about the daily routines of my extraordinary guests, their mindset, their choice of interiors, but most importantly, how their life at home sustains their success and much, much more. I'm so delighted to be talking to my guest who was recognized as one of the most influential women in the UK by the Institute of Directors and also been named one of the UK's top 20 most influential entrepreneurs by the Sunday Times. Her name is Sha Wozmund. Sha strikes me as someone with an uncountable number of talents and who is not afraid to do everything that she loves. Born in the US, her family moved to the UK when Shah was 10 years old. After winning a scholarship to the prestigious City of London School of, for Girls, she studied international relations at the London School of Economics. Whilst at the LSE, she won a competition to interview Chris Eubank, who was then a middleweight world champion boxer, and Shah went on to become the only licensed female boxing promoter in the world, working with the legendary Chris Eubank himself. She later set up her own PR company and helped her first client, Sir James Dyson, grow the Dyson brand to become a household name. Shai is also a property developer and had multiple online businesses, including one with Sir Bob Geldof and another which was sold to B-Sky B. She ran an investment fund and launched what became the largest online resource for small businesses in the UK. Impressively, Shah Wozmund was awarded an MBE by the Queen for services to business and entrepreneurship. She has a podcast called Building a Bigger Table, which I highly recommend listening to. She's also written four straight-talking best-selling books, Stop Talking, Start Doing, Stop Talking, Start Doing Action Book, Do Less, Get More, and most recently, How to Fix Your Shit. This interview is not to be missed. Enjoy. Beloved Shah Basmund, welcome to hello, the Haskell podcast. Oh, oh I'm I've, been, here. I've been longing to have you on it. This has been on and off. And as I mentioned just now, we, I was planning to come all the way to Kent to see your beautiful home, to, you know, to feel your chemistry, your energy, and the way it is resonates on the clubhouse, on social media, because this is where I know you're from. And, and yeah, it, it, it didn't, quite, didn't quite work. Two busy schedules and the pandemic and everything that comes with it. So for the time being, I'm happy to settle for the camera and mic and the, and the laptop. But it's definitely better than nothing, right? Here you go. Here you go. And we, we can always do like a Soho farmhouse lunch another day. Please. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. Up for it. So jumping right into it, you are one incredible businesswoman, human being. You've got amazing career achievements, a lot of accolades, and including an MBE from the Queen for services to business and entrepreneurship. How do you process it all? Um, I think I try not to take it 
too seriously because I think if you take it too seriously, then your ego runs away with you. So I think it's a balance between um, being proud of what you've done and being proud of what you've achieved and at the same time not getting carried away with it where you think that you are somehow in some elevated position from other people. And, 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 you know, um, I am really proud of everything that I've done, particularly coming where I've come from. Right. So, you know, my background is incredibly poor, humble beginnings. I spent, you know, years living in a hostel for homeless families. And, and so I share that because I think it's really important because nothing was ever given to me. So I've had to work myself for everything that I have. And so I am proud of that. I'm proud of all the battle scars along the way, but equally, I don't believe that that in itself makes me a better human being. It just means that I've got, you know, maybe a few more business accolades than other people. This is amazing. And I know to the ceremony in Buckingham Palace, you took your 90 year old grandmother. I mean, this is such an epic moment for any granddaughter, daughter, you know, just to do that. What was running through your head? I mean, meeting the queen and having another influential woman in your life next to you. So for me, it was it was it was simply the most important part of it. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to pretend that I, I'm not proud of of being awarded the MBE. I am, but actually, it's about being able to share that with my nan that the that was the biggest thing for me because my nan, you know, she's been my rock throughout my whole life, but also because she comes from a generation where social mobility was really difficult, you know, in her generation, especially as a woman, for her to have changed her status, for her to, you know, she's incredibly working class, um, you know, never learned how to drive, never really left the country until she was like 60, um, uh, uh, always in social housing. And for her generation to think that one day she would be at Buckingham Palace with the Queen would have been unheard of. You wouldn't have been able to comprehend it. So as much as I still feel we have a long way to go when it comes to gender equality and equity, Mm-hmm. For my nan's generation, we've come so far. For my nan to see her granddaughter have been able to achieve, you know, financial security for generations to come and to have been awarded for her services by the Queen and was quite momentous. And for me, that's all I want is to make my nan proud. That's all I want is to make my nan proud. I have a feeling it could have been even more important for your nan, you know, in some, in some way. Um, you know, whilst it was very important for you, but I guess for her, yeah, that proud moment—it's it's so special to share. And and, and, and I felt I felt privileged that that I still had my nan here at ninety, and at ninety she was still well enough to be able to travel to London. And I mean, that's that's a life well lived and a life well lived on its own. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. You mentioned your humble beginnings and your where you're coming from. Did you always know you're going to be successful, a multimillionaire successful, that level of success? Did you know? Was it ever within you? Always, always. And, and, and I don't want that to come across as sounding arrogant. So uh, let me explain. It was always because I, I felt like I didn't have a choice because I didn't want to, I, I didn't, 
I didn't want to carry on experiencing what I was experiencing, which was a complete instability. And so from a very, very young age, I knew that if I had, if my circumstances were going to change them, I had to be responsible for changing them. So I was very driven from a very young age. And that made, you know, um, a massive difference because I wouldn't take no for an answer. I, I never smoked. I never drank. I never did drugs. Um, and you know, some people, it, it sounds like I was like some kind of robot far from it. I partied really hard. I just, I just slightly different to other kids, you know, like when they were all getting into trouble, I got into trouble at school, but through arguing with the teachers about politics and I didn't get into trouble for smoking or drinking or doing anything like that because, you know, oh, I also got into trouble because I didn't go to some lessons because if I didn't like the teacher, I didn't show up. So I was by no means like a perfect student, but I knew who I was and I knew who I wasn't. And I knew that from a very young age. And I also knew what I had to do in order to create a different life. And I knew that that meant that work from where I was coming from, I had to outwork and I had to outsmart everybody else. And so that's what I set about doing. And I gave myself no other outlet. And in that context, though, it's really important to understand that, that even though that's how I felt, what actually transpired, what actually happened, couldn't have happened and wouldn't have happened without the support of other people. So I think that's really, because I think so often when you see successful people, it can come across like, you know, they're some kind of unicorn and they did it all by themselves. That's mm. never true. It's it never number, true. Isn't it? A hundred percent. It takes you being in the right time you know, the right place at the right time with the right person. And so that's often about somebody giving you a break at a point in your life where you really needed it. Then it's up to you to make sure that you're living up to the break that somebody's given you. Right. So for, for me, you know, I can think of multiple people who, who gave me breaks in my career when I didn't on paper necessarily. What was the first one? So the first one was actually the, the, super middleweight champion of the world, Chris Eubank at the time. Well, actually, if we go, if we go back a step, even before I started working, I would say that uh, when I was 16, I got a scholarship to the city of London school for girls. Um, I, I got a full scholarship to a private school. In fact, one of the top three private schools in the whole country. And I came from a state school. I had to travel 90 minutes to school every day and 90 minutes home. And I was the poorest kid probably in the whole entire school, definitely in my year. But the headmistress at that school really instilled in me a massive sense of pride and self-belief. And I think she was probably the very first one outside of my family. So outside of my immediate family, my mom and my nan always believed in me. But outside of my immediate family, I would say... Lady France, who was the headmistress at the time, she was the one who really, you know, put her her neck on the line to to believe in me and give me opportunities. And and then from a work perspective, I've been so incredibly lucky. Whether it was, you know, working with Chris Eubank, who was a super middleweight boxing champion of the world at the time, I went on to work with Sir James Dyson from around a kitchen table when nobody knew who Dyson was. And if I look up, you know, Dyson wrote the foreword to my very first book. So I think. You know, throughout my career, I've I've had a lot of a lot of people put their faith and their trust in me. Mm. And you know what I hear through all this is, yes, the right people came into your life, but something that comes back to your you know 
talking about your school and that you would argue with the teachers that wouldn't agree with you or you wouldn't turn up to the classes that you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't like the teacher there. And this is interesting because, you know, these days we talk a lot about choosing your tribe and, you know, hanging out with the right people and being allowing yourself to be influenced by the right people. Whereas at school, usually we don't have that choice, but you took that choice so much earlier on than everyone. So you, there's, a, you know, obviously a rebellious part of you that, yeah. you know, from, from the childhood, you, you, you didn't follow the rules. Let's put it this way. You created them. Yeah, I, I think from a, from a young age, like when I was at secondary school, um, a couple of things happened. One, I knew that I was never going to use physics or chemistry in my life. So why was I studying these <laughs> subjects? It just seemed nonsensical waste of my time. And so when it came to the end of the year school reports, you know, the chemistry and physics teachers would be like, you know, Charles like the worst student we've ever had. She doesn't even bother to show up. She should be suspended. Uh, she doesn't do any of her coursework. She's going to fail everything. And I'd be like, well, I don't really care if I fail physics or chemistry. And then we'd go to history and English and it'd be like, she's the best student we've ever had. She consistently scores 98% in all of her exams. She'll, she will blaze through with an A without even trying. And then other, like I actually really enjoyed home economics, which is, uh, so home economics back then was cookery and sewing. I refused to go to sewing. I refused because I said it was, it was, it was not a, a, a skill that I wanted to learn and it wasn't a skill that I had to learn and it yeah. wasn't a skill that was being taught to the boys. So why was I being taught the skill? If the boys aren't being taught the skill, I don't want to learn the skill. Thanks. So I'm not going. I literally refused to do anything. <laughs> Got into loads of trouble. But home economics was the so home economics was the overall subject, but it's breaking down into two parts. But I loved I loved my home economics teacher who taught the cookery. So I got top marks in the whole year, every exam, because I, I enjoyed the subject and I really loved her. And then I refused to go to the other half of it. So I was the kid that they found really difficult because I got great grades in the subjects that I cared about. And if I didn't care about it, I really couldn't care about it. And no one was going to tell me differently. Like no one was. And to this day, I do not regret for a second that I didn't learn how to sew. Like, you know, I, I say that, I say that. School labels. No, I say that you can iron on your school labels. You don't need to sew them. But I say that to an extent, I know how to sew a button on. I know how to do the basics. And actually, quite frankly, we should all know how to do that. I'm not so, yeah. you know, bougie, bougie that I can't figure that shit out. But what I mean is I, I, I'm not going to make cushions. I'm not, that's, I don't want to do that. And yeah. I also think it's very gender stereotypical and I, and, and I, I'm not down for that. And I think that we discredit our educational system by not, teaching kids things that actually matter and also things that matter to them. Um, and, and I have a 15 year old now, so I can see the challenges wanting to make sure that your kids are well-rounded enough that they don't start making decisions early on that are going to put them down a very specific path that they may not in the future have, have chosen for themselves. So it is important to keep it broad, but to me, physics and chemistry are not broad. They're very specific. So unless that's what you want to do, and, and it also depends on the child. I was very clear very early on. I, that's never going to be my jam. I'm not interested. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm also not really interested in math, but I am interested in economics and nobody could understand that. And I said, I can use a calculator to figure out my sums. I'm more interested in, you know, what is quantitative easing? How do we get into these situations? How does one country do this? How? So I, I was a very challenging kid. I don't think I would have particularly liked to have 
taught me unless unless you were you know my English teacher and then I would have been the best kid ever because I loved it amazing what what is your son like is he taking after his mum no not at all and I think it's I think that's deliberate he's like incredible at maths he is you know just he could take his GCSEs tomorrow and he'd get a nine um or an A star star, whatever they're called now, all the strange grading systems. But he doesn't enjoy English, but I feel like he's just told himself that he doesn't enjoy English because I enjoy English. And my mum's an English teacher. So he's kind of got these women in his life who love English. And so I think he's rebelling that he doesn't want to be like us. So, you know. Makes sense. And he's brilliant at physics. He's brilliant at physics. Is he? Yeah, so I think it's quite funny because I was like, I can't even. (laughs) Is he going to um, connect his career to physics and math anyhow? No, I don't, I don't think so. I think that he's actually saying that he he wants to either run his own business um, and because that's all he, he's seen around him his whole life, or he wants to um, study psychology and um, think about becoming a um, psychiatrist. So listen, at 50... I know. This is the, the you know, the talents are yeah. wow. we'll, see. Wow. we'll see how it unfolds. Amazing. So now as we speaking about your son, you've um, always been, in your own words, conscious of creating generational wealth, not just buying nice bags. How do you raise your son to appreciate it all, not take it for granted? Possibly You know, it's exactly your humble beginning where you came from, made you so fierce and so agile in business. How do you make sure that your son is not going to have it easy way in a good sense of that word? How do you how do you get this craving for, you know, building up on that generational wealth that he would um, get from you? The truth is is really difficult and the really brutal truth is you can't no matter what you do because you're stuck between wanting to provide a better better life for your kids than you had for yourself but in doing so you also remove some of the drivers that have made you succeed and so my son has no idea whatsoever of what it is like to want for anything now he i'll give him credit he's equally not particularly materialistic so it's not like he's constantly asking for things um it's not like he has a particularly expensive taste in his clothes or anything like that but equally he doesn't have to go and get a job like i was working since i was 13 and when i tell him this he just looks at me and rolls his eyes like i'm not getting a job i'm 15 why would i get a job i was like because i had one at 13 he said yeah, but you had one at 13 because you had to. Why do I have to? Right. And so you're stuck between that. He's right. He doesn't have to. Yeah. And and so for me, I think it's it's you have to hope and believe that bringing him up with a work ethic where he sees people around him working for what they want, that that work ethic is going to rub off. And, you know, it's quite hard to tell with a teenage boy because I'm not sure any of them have any work ethic quite honestly at 15 you know they're they're just obsessed very challenging with, yeah it's a challenging age 100 yeah. percent like yeah. I never thought boarding school was a good idea but I might reconsider <laughs> I'm joking, <laughs> I'm joking. Um, but I think I think the point is is that you can all you can do as a parent is your best 
and you are always going to be stuck between a rock and a hard place because if what's the alternative that we go and live in a two bedroom flat and pretend that we're poor so that he has to learn the value of money yeah. and then what's why am I working so hard to pretend? I mean, that doesn't make sense. So, you know, I talked to him about how he sees that I work. He, he, you know, he absolutely understands and has always understood what it takes to be where we are today. And that this isn't, you know, you can't just flick a switch and this all materializes. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, it's the role model that you are and you write is just, being being you and hoping that it rubs off the children as well but equally i find that there's a lot of um and i think on clubhouse it's also discussed a lot if you come from that space of lack and scarcity it really gives you that ingredient to become successful and i'm i don't like that because what about all those people, you know, like your son, that we're blessed with, uh, you know, environment, the, not the challenging environment where you don't starve, yeah. you, you don't, you know, how, what is the, what is the ingredient there to, you know, uh, for me, it's, it's the parents, it's the example. It is, but even with that as an example, it doesn't mean the kids are going to follow suit, right? So the truth is that this has to come from within as well. You have to make a decision that you want to succeed for yourself, that you don't want to do it because of your mom or your dad, you want to do it for you. And I do believe that the, the, the lack, the scarcity drives you. But equally, I would say, for every one person that scarcity and lack drives to succeed, there will be 99 people that scarcity paralyzes and holds back and they will be forever stuck. Yeah. So you hear the stories like people like me because we're the anomalies, but we have to recognize that, you know, it's not that I'm a unicorn. It is that somewhere in my DNA, or something I experienced, whether it's nature or nurture, made me different to the 99 other people. It didn't make me more intelligent. It didn't make me more anything other than if I was to put it into word, I'd probably, if I was to put it into two words, it'd probably be resilient and driven. Mm. The resilience meant that I could take on board all of the crap that I had to go through and I wouldn't let it consume me. And the driven piece was. I used everything as a driver to push me forward rather than a brake to hold me back. Beautiful, beautiful. And uh, you've been um, involved in quite a few businesses. You've done a lot of things. Whilst from school age, you knew where your interests lay. Yeah. You applied them in so many ways in business. And your career was once described as eclectic to the point of lightiness do you get bored easily or is it that you have those talents that you have to apply and you just a superwoman how do you yeah it's interesting because again it goes back to all these stereotypes right so my career the, the quote i can't even remember who made that quote but i remember i remember reading it in some newspaper that you know my career is eclectic to the degree of flightiness uh-huh. and i was like 
I was like, basically, fuck you. Like, me, oh, I'm my own. Like, I picked I, the right quote. <laughs> let's, let's tell them that. No, I, I do remember this because I think what I believe it would be BBC. So let's tell them. <laughs> no, but I mean, it was like, well, who are you to judge? Who are you to judge? what is eclectic and what is flighty. But I'm going to go back and say, I get it because the difference with me is that when I don't enjoy doing something anymore, I just stop doing it. And if that's flighty, I'll take that. I'm fine with that, right? I'm fine with that because as long as I can provide for me, my family and future generations, that's I'm good with that. We, we come from generations where you used to have a job for life. So you left school and you decided on a career and you did that one career and that one job until you retired and then you died. Mm. And I'm definitely not about that life. I'm about the life where I'm going to do what I want to do for as long as I want to do it. And then when I don't want to do it anymore, I'm going to figure out what I do want to do. And then I'm going to go and do that because in the same way that we change as we grow up as we grow older, as we mature, as we go through different life experiences, the things that you want to do today are different to the things that you wanted to do when you were 21. And the things you wanted to do when you were 21 were different than what you wanted to do when you were five. And nobody questions that. Mm. But why is it then that between 21 and let's say 70, when you retire, you're supposed to be the same person? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense to me. And if that works for some people, that's awesome. And if it doesn't work, that's also awesome. For me, the key to life is finding out where is your path, not following somebody else's and doing what is right for you. And for me, what's right for me, there are some things, right, that have been constant my whole entire career. I've always loved writing. So writing books has always been a constant throughout my career. Creating content has always been a constant theme throughout my career. Um, going against the grain, working in male-dominated industries has been a pretty much constant theme. So there are definitely themes throughout. Yeah, yeah. I admire it. I admire it. it it's, I, I made my change in a career from finance to interior design, completely unrelated industries, but I didn't take it lightly. And it took me a while to grow in it and to create the mindset and the right basis for it and education and stuff. How how easy you are with this switch easy just stop and stop, <laughs> like, stop. i love it <laughs> like, you don't want to do it hey, what i would advise people to do though is that i i would advise people to think about whether they are um you know sometimes when you feel like this it's temporary so i think it's really important to understand the difference between a temporary feeling and a ongoing feeling. So I I don't just I don't just wake up and think, oh I'm bored. Okay, we're gonna stop. I wake up and I feel like, oh I'm bored. And then I have to ask myself, okay, but why are you like what what else is going on for you right now? Because I think you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. So I think that what you want to do is you you want to give yourself six months. Mm -hmm. If you still feel the same way, then the chances are you should do something else. Something else, yeah. And uh, I, I believe it's 2015 when you stepped down as a CEO of your own business. Yeah. And went into creating this online community and what you yeah. do now. 
tell the listeners more about what you do because there's no one better to even describe it and the, the community that you build and the strength and the help that you provide and mentorship. Yeah, so, you, you know, my previous business uh, started out very much wanting to provide business support for entrepreneurs and small business owners. And we started in the last recession um, and we had significant funding, like significant funding. We also had um, a million pound sponsorship deal from RBS and NatWest and then the recession hit. And we were very fortunate. We managed to maintain the sponsorship but we lost some of our, our investors because the markets all collapsed and the business continued. But we had to change. We had to pivot that dreaded word pivot. We had to pivot because people stopped believing in the benefit of community and, and content and everybody wanted to create software. So we started creating software for the banks that would service the uh, small business community. And, and, and that in itself had a value and, and, you know, no question, but it wasn't what really drove me. What drove me was creating community and providing um, the kind of platform that usually only people who were privileged enough to be born into entrepreneurial families had that kind of support around them. I wanted to level the playing field. That's always been the one thing I'm never flighty about is my desire to level the playing field on all levels, on gender, on race, on on everything. And, you know, that was a big shift. So I saw the future was online learning. I saw that the way to reach people was through online courses and through self-study learning. Um, and, and basically nobody believed me. Everybody was like, oh, that's an ego trip. You just want to create your own courses with your own face. And I was like, okay, bye. Like, okay, okay, fine. Bye. I'll do it myself. Like, right. it's okay. I can handle it. Right. And so I made a decision to just to go off and start to create a business based around what was really important to me. I wanted to have 17 weeks holiday, 17 weeks vacation a year. I wanted to, I wanted to work from home but I wanted to have a serious business. I didn't want to have a lifestyle business. I didn't want to work in, you know, my spare bedroom, although it looks like I'm in my spare bedroom right now. This is actually my podcast room. Um, and <laughs> I have an office in the garden behind um, a proper office. And, and it's gorgeous. <laughs> and I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that to diss anyone who works from their spare bedroom. I started off like that. But my point being that you can be taken seriously working from home. You can be taken, you can grow a seven figure business working from home. All these kind of labels that people put, just forget all the labels and do you, what, what is it you want to do? Figure out the best way to make that happen. And for me, I just wanted to, I wanted to level the playing field by creating the types of training and workshops and courses that, that, that really make a difference to people's businesses and allow people to get the kind of mentoring that is going to really shift the needle so that they so many small business owners and entrepreneurs just don't make the money that they should and they also don't understand about money effectively so I, you know one of the things i talk about a lot is there is a big difference between running a six-figure business or a seven-figure business and actually learning how to take six figures home because mm -hmm. taking six figures home is where you start to create generational wealth but most people don't even know how you go about that. What does it look like? People are so focused on, you know, what are we bringing in? What's the revenue we're bringing in from our client? But you're not thinking about what's the revenue I'm taking home 
from the money that we're bringing in? How am I structuring this business so that it's as profitable as possible? How am I, you know, structuring my profit so that I'm taking out as, as much of that as possible? And, and we're not taught financial literacy or education at, mm-hmm. at school or at university. Yep. And I think it's a shame because, you know, I see people making a lot of mistakes. And I, I think that when you get to a certain age, what happens is you either regret decisions you made when you were younger or you're very grateful for them so there are some decisions I made when I when I was much younger that I'm very grateful and there are some that I regret I regret that I never set up a pension like I never set up a pension because I didn't understand it because I came from a poor family nobody had pensions it I just didn't get it I didn't understand it like where was this money going to and who was going to manage it and I didn't have any control and I'm a control freak so I was like no we're not doing that yeah and I wish I had done so but what I did instead was I invested in property so you know, that's my pension. And I'm very grateful for that because I have, you know, a relatively significant portfolio and that makes me happy because the truth is at any point in time, I could just say, oh, you know, I'm going to take five years off and I'm okay. In fact, you know, the, the, the income from my rental properties would cover my whole entire lifestyle, including school fees. So I'm, I'm fine, right? I'm in a great position. Um, and the irony is that most people don't know that you can take out a pension for your kids. And I took out a pension for my son from the day he was born. So he now has a way bigger pension than I do, which is crazy. So I learned my lesson, but I still didn't go and apply it for myself, but I did for him. It's crazy. We'll always put our kids first, right? Well, there you go. The oxygen mask. Uh, yeah you know, which way <laughs> but you did put the oxygen mask for yourself first as well in, in yeah just in different ways yeah 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 and it's the yeah it's an interesting point that your son pretty much can be a millionaire by the time he's a pensioner because he will 100 percent be so, so i mean look if something happens to the stock market and it disappears and we are in you know what you can't you can't take those things into no. consideration. But yeah. if you look at the last like hundred years, probably even longer, and you extrapolate that out, if I stop putting any money into his pension when he's 18, the, the amount that he has in the pot at 18, when you average out what you know the stock market has done over the last hundred years, and you just keep that as an average and you extrapolate that out until his time of retirement he will have the equivalent of a million pounds today. So not just a million pounds, because a million pounds might not be a million pounds in the future, but he would have the equivalent buying power of a million pounds today. So that means that my son, and and I did this for his pension specifically because A, I realized I hadn't done it for myself and B, because I want him to have to work when he's young. But if he has to work when he's young, then he knows that I've covered him when he's older. Yeah, 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 yeah. So not not the trust fund. Your hell no, hell no. <laughs> he has a, he has a trust fund that he you know if anything happened to me, but he can't touch it. Uh, there are so many circumstances through which he you know that he can only take it down to invest in properties. He can't have a. There's no fund coming to him. There's no cash coming to him on a monthly basis to support his lifestyle that he has to work for himself. Very smart. Very smart. And. You, know, you you went to London School of Economics, didn't you? And yeah. and economics been your major and yes. one of your talents. So definitely advising your clients and um, people in your community on it. Something that is uh, to be listened to. 
definitely and it's a, it's a smart it's a it's a simple technique that's often very much overlooked and there's a reasoning behind it because you need to make a choice of how you want your children to grow up and what you want to insert in them in terms of the wealth understanding and money understanding and you totally I think doing it I think a lot of people need to listen to it and um, take it on board so thank you for sharing that very welcome and uh, coming back to your like as we are on a beehive household back to your home to you know you said that you're working from home you've got your office in the garden so your home is your uh, everything most of the things so the how did you set up your home what routines do you have in your home because you have so many different activities i'll call them activities but it's like life activities that you do what's your routine and what's your home like i know you've recently went through some renovation works well, so I'm currently in my London house. My my house in Kent is in Whitstable, but right now I'm in my London house. So mm. I'm very lucky. I've got, I've got two homes, one on the coast in Kent in Whitstable, which I adore, and one uh, in London on Greenwich Park. So location is really important to me. Being near outside space is really important to me. Um, if I look outside, I've got a little roof terrace behind the window. And then in the garden is my office with all like glass sliding doors. I, I really like muted tones. I'm like a calm environment. I'm, I'm a little bit OCD. I like everything in its place. So because my brain has got so much going on in it, I don't want my house having lots of stuff going on in it. So for me, it's about having space and light and a calmness about me that's that's amazing and um the uh, in terms of the interior of your home um how how is it in how is it important for you to have do you do you shop for certain things do you have a specific style or is it just minimalistic clean clean and you actually worry about you know growing your empire rather than worrying too much Oh no, I mean I've done about 25 property renovations as well. I don't really talk about it a lot, but I've done a lot of property renovations and um I love interior design. So I'm very particular about what I want. So for example, if I talk about the renovation we just did on my Whitstable house, we um we changed all the floor. We put a beautiful antico um Parisian basket weave down on the floor and it's stunning we gutted the two front rooms but kept all the original features put a great big a wood burning stove in um like I shop at a, a company called loaf so I have my favorite shop so I go to loaf for all my furniture because they're just super sumptuous comfortable furniture but I'm always looking at things so so when you go into the kitchen the kitchen in the Whitsport house is very long with glass sliding doors at the back and it's got this most beautiful Moroccan themed garden that's did literally a grand design during COVID. We ripped out the entire garden. It's all beautifully Moroccan themed with copper lights and um, and, and incredible planting. I wanted to bring that into, so we had a little bit more of a jungle theme in the kitchen in terms of like just simple things like the table mats and things were all jungle themed and shots of green and orange in the kitchen to tie in with the outside. And then in the living room, it's all like, you know what the living rooms are like? In fact, lots of my house is is like Soho farmhouse. Like I spend, it? yeah. so it's got that very kind of chilled out, laid back vibe. Yeah, 
they, you've got your membership meetups in Soho. Um, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. So we're just about we're just launching a a new uh, group program, a mastermind, and we're going to be having all of our quarterly meetups. So we're going to be doing two day meetups every quarter, and we'll do those at Soho Farmhouse. So yeah, I'm excited. So Kant, Soho Farmhouse. This is all, you know, the, the vibrant, eclectic mix that you go, yeah. that you bring in. <laughs> yeah, and, and I love that. I love that. Yeah. Oh, it's a beautiful, gorgeous, luxurious environment and very tasteful without being too much in the face. So that's that's exactly my style. Very tasteful without being too much in your face. So you won't find any chandeliers. Uh, in in my homes, but you will find driftwood and copper because I'm very much about the sensual feeling of the 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 materials, not just the colors. Right, right. Who do you share your house with? With my partner Drew and my son Jet. How does it work? The particularly last two years with all of you being at home. What's the dynamic like in Shah's household? Now I'm getting a bit. Personal. <laughs> no, no, no. So, so I've also got my amazing cleaner, Tracy, who's here. She's here today, who I couldn't live without. Um, I've got to be honest, my, my partner uh, is incredible. He is a super, um, I don't know if you know the five love languages, but the five love languages are, you know, um, gifts. I've never read it, but I know the book. Yeah. So there's basically five love languages that we we all, because we're all different, right? So some people it's gifts, some people it's affirmation, somebody telling you you're amazing. Some people it's physical touch, just giving you hugs. Some people it's acts of service and some people it's quality time. And mine is always acts of service and quality time. Um, and he he just is brilliant. So he knows, you know, he knows how hard I work. He also knows that I love what I do. And, you know, his, his, his career is different. He works for the government. He, you know, doesn't like his job, doesn't dislike his job. It's a job. He does it. It's like, he's okay. It's fine. Doesn't want to change it. Whereas I love what I do. And so he, he's brilliant. He does truthfully, he does 95% of the cooking and wow. 90- 95% of the cooking, 95% of the cleaning up and tidying up. Um, yeah, I'm well, I'm well looked after. Um, and he's like six foot four. So trust me for anyone thinking that he is somehow emasculated. He's like six foot four and looks like a rugby player. And uh, he's definitely not emasculated. But his view is that, you know, I'm always about in a really good relationship, you should both be bringing things to the table, but you don't have to bring the same thing, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I've always I've always earned significantly more than my partners, always, and it's never been an issue because to me, I love what I do, so I'm privileged, and I'm privileged that loving what I do means we get to have this lifestyle. We couldn't have this lifestyle on his salary, and yeah. so for him, the things that that his way of contributing is to take care of me in other ways. I I don't need him to take care of me financially, but I don't, you know, I definitely don't enjoy washing up. I definitely don't enjoy domestic chores. I'm super happy to pay for the cleaner, but in between he's, he, he weirdly finds it therapeutic at the end of the day to <laughs> wash the dishes. Loads of people report on that. <laughs> Can I also tell you, like we have a super bougie meal, a dishwasher that he never uses. I'm like, Babe, oh. just put them in the dishwasher. He's like, no, I might as well just wash them up. 
that's the difference you see somebody who doesn't like doing that is never going to want they're just going to put them in the damn dishwasher um so yeah i i think he he makes he, he makes he makes things a lot easier you know he's always looking for how can i how can i make things easier for sure and, and that's a great relationship. Um, my son's 15, so we'll park that one because I'm not sure that he knows what making life easier is. <laughs> right now. Right now. Right now <laughs> boarding school on the mind, yeah. <laughs> flying, flying around. I mean, yeah, I think he, I think it's, it's, but all joking aside, I think it's actually been tougher on my son than anyone else because being in isolation and not being able to see your friends at such a crucial age is hard. Like it's been really hard on him. So he was actually really grateful to go back to school. He was really looking forward to going back to school, which I think is great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think every parent loved that and was looking forward to it, but yes. so, so, so were the kids. Yeah, 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 definitely. So languages of love. Um, you mentioned yours as um, acts of service. The Druze is it acts of service as well or? What's his language? So my two are acts of service and quality time. Quality time. And, and, and his would be quality time and affirmation. So I, I, I joke with him. It's okay. You don't need to tell me how brilliant I am. I already know. I'm good. Thanks. I'm good. Just, <laughs> just wash the dishes and I'll be happy. Um, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. Um, yeah, his is quality time. For him, It's he appreciates the fact that Knowing how busy I am, I will always prioritize time with him and time with my son. Um, and I'm, I'm, you see, he's really good at doing all the day-to-day stuff. I'm really good at booking us weekends away and, mm-hmm. you know, planning it with my son's friends for him to do sleepovers. And, and so I'm really good knowing that quality time is his love language. I'm really good at appreciating that and making sure that I find ways for us to do stuff together as a family and do stuff together as a couple. Um, because if it was left to him, we might go away once a year. Whereas with me, it'll be like every other month. <laughs> well, there you go. You know, marriage goes by contrast. And it True. is that complementing. It's a teamwork, you know, and you need. You yeah. Need and actually, I, I, yeah. And, and that's definitely what it feels like with him. Um, and you play different positions in a team, right? You, you, you A team isn't about having, you know, two strikers or, two goalkeepers or whatever sport you're looking at. You, you, and I feel like if more relationships were like that, you recognize you don't have to bring the same things to the table. You have to complement each other. You, you know, like the, and you mentioned that as well, the, um, there is a stigma, you know, of the roles and gender and you mentioned racism as well. But uh, do you feel like you often have to explain you know how your household works does it or you know what I mean like why why are we in a world where it needs an explanation to an extent isn't it yeah no I don't explain anything like I'm I'm I, I'm not going to give that the time of day like if, if if you need an explanation we probably shouldn't be having a conversation boom like you know we only have so much time to have so many conversations I'm really not interested in speaking to people who can't comprehend that there are 101 ways for a family dynamic to work and, and you should find the one that works for you, right? Um, mm-hmm. I, I think for my partner, it's taken him some time to feel um, comfortable with other people because, you know, he was used to, a, I, I think, a pretty normal life and having a job and going to work and coming home. And, and then my life is very different and my life is very you. 
Exactly. And it's very different, you know, like we're always got people over and we're always doing things. And, and sometimes the people who come over like rock up in cars that cost more than his flat. And, you know, it, he's very grounded in himself. So he was never intimidated by them. But I think at the beginning, he felt like I'm not going to have anything in common with these people. Like I'm cool, whatever they are, whatever they do but I'm not going to have anything in common with these people. And, and so he had a little bit of prejudice, interestingly, right? So he was expecting to be judged, but actually he was already doing some judging himself. And then, you know, I said to him, do you think they'd be my friends if you had nothing like, and then he thought about it. And I said, you can't be judging people just because they've got money. It's the same way as people judging people just because they don't have money. Right. Both are wrong. You should be judging people on who they are and how they show up. So. And it's yeah. also, um, I think it's either in one interviews or one of your talks, you talked about the money being an amplifier of what you, who you one are hand. and what, what, what you are. So what, what your nature is, is just going to yeah. grow bigger. If, if it's a shitty nature, then you just yeah. be a douchebag by, by default. If, if you, if you if are. If you're a dickhead, you just become a bigger dickhead. And if you're a generous person, you just get to be more generous. That's right. It, uh, I don't dismiss the uh, momentarily I guess those those moments when great things start to happen and you don't know how to handle them and whether you know there's a potentially can be a confusion I say but you always settle in the in the old ways whatever your nature is and what your actual yeah you 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 just become yourself in the end but just amplified in a good yeah yeah, 100% and you went through some big loss in your life, which you also talk about publicly. Um, you've lost your someone who was your partner, your best friend, your son's father as well, um, in a car accident, I believe. How was it? Was it yeah. How how did you how did you find the strength to pursue you know your life goals, your your life in general? Yeah, I think I, again, I think that part of me felt like I had no choice because I suddenly found myself a single mom and I had to take care of myself and I had to take care of my son. And that was the only thing that I really cared about everything else. But equally, when I look back on it, I I had PTSD. So I definitely um, went through a period of time. I can't really remember for a couple of years. I don't really remember what was happening or what was going on. And I think that through the strength and love of good friends and family who, who, you know, just didn't let me down, didn't, didn't give up on me, even though I didn't want to talk to anybody for probably two years, I didn't want to talk to anyone. Um, and, uh, I, my, my, my personality is such, and especially how I grew up is just crack on, just get going, just keep going, just keep going, just keep going. And I did, I just kept going. I just kept going. I just kept going. And it's only many years later that I realized I hadn't stopped and I hadn't given myself a break. And I hadn't, you know, I hadn't really gone through the grieving process properly because I felt like I I didn't have the luxury of grieving when I had, you know, a three-year-old to take care of. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. It's, and, and I think it's, it never really goes away. I, I, I always say that, you know, uh, loss is a tattoo on your soul. You know, you can't see it, but it's always there. What was your 
grieving process was like when you realized to, you need to slow down, you need to look after yourself, you need to process the emotions properly? Um, I think it was like a bit like a roller coaster. I would recognize it and I'll try. Then it was felt uncomfortable. So I'd go back to work and I'd head down, crack on, crack on, crack on. And then I'd feel like it was just like stop, start, stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. And truth is probably only until I met my partner, Drew, that I really started to not feel like I had to save the world by myself. And I think that's very much the mindset. You know, I was very much in the mindset. I have to do everything myself. I can't rely on anyone. I don't have any stability. I I have to do everything by myself. Um, yeah. You'll go with it now a little bit. Yeah, definitely. But it's, you know, and, and again, it took my partner time, probably took him two years to really, um, to just keep on showing up the way he does for me to then know that that was never going to change, that 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 is who he is. And, you know, um, I just never wanted to let my guard down, but, but he kind of, um, he was relentless Mm -hmm. in his kindness. He was relentless in his showing up. He was relentless in, in just constantly demonstrating through what he said and what he did that I could rely on him. Did you allow, was it almost the, uh, I don't know, it's almost allowing yourself to be rescued. Did you have to do that in that sense, just to allow yourself to be? Yeah, I never got that far. No. Yeah, I never got that far. No, I would never allow myself to be rescued. Like, As in rescued no. from... Rescue, you know, because you are maybe from myself, maybe being rescued from myself. Yeah, you know, yeah. Well, the, because you you are, you know, that superwoman the that saved the world and you you put it on your shoulders and in many ways you accomplishing that. But do you well, allow it's quite funny that 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 you say this because a couple of things. Firstly, whenever I travel anywhere, the first thing I'm doing is looking around me to think, okay, so if the plane crashes, if the boat goes down, where are the exits? Where's this? Where's that? Where are the lifeboat? Where's this? Where's that? I'm always preparing myself for like some chaos. Worst case. So, yeah. So that if it happens, I, 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 I'm going to survive and the people around me are going to survive because I've thought this all through before, you know, you lot are all getting on thinking everything's fine. I'm thinking we're going to die and therefore I'm going to make sure we live. And I've just thought this all through. And it's quite interesting. <laughs> one of the questions wow. that one of the questions that I asked my partner when I met him, yeah. I said, so um, if we we're on a plane and the plane got hijacked, what would you do? And he says, what do you mean, what would I do? He said, that is such a random question. I said, if we were on a plane and we were hijacked, what would you do? And he says, well, I I would get up and try to do something um, because we're going to probably die anyway. So I I would rather die trying to do something. He said, why? What would you do? And I said, I would be the first person out of my seat. If I'm ever on a plane and a plane gets hijacked, I can guarantee I'll be the first person out of my seat. And so I cannot be with a partner who is not going to get up out of their seat with me. And even if my son was on board and he had to wait, I'm getting up even more if my son's on board because I want to demonstrate that his mom is going to do everything in her power to save him and save everyone else. And I said to, I said to my partner, if a five foot four woman is going to get up on a plane to terrorize, I would like to think that every man on the plane would think to themselves, we kind of need to man up and step up and get up because the reality is there has never been a plane 
that if everybody got up, couldn't have overpowered. There's only so many bullets in your guns and there's more people on the planes than there are bullets in your guns. But what happens is that people are paralyzed by fear. So, you know, if there's, if there's five terrorists and they've got five guns and they've got 10 rounds of ammunition in each one and there's 280 people on the plane, the plane can survive if you all just fucking get up and do something. I think this needs to be added to the safety, you know, message on the plane. So this is your mask and just a special from Shavazman. <laughs> yeah, they talk about, you know, the crash landing, the landing on the sea, the, 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 um, you know, oxygen marks. No one talks about that. No, I mean, look, if they have a bomb, there's probably not much you can do and you might, you know, I get it. But if they don't just like logically think this through people, There's not enough bullets in those guns to kill all of us. Wow. I didn't think this conversation will go into this, you know. <laughs> I know. I, 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 just, I would have never thought, but this is, this is. Um, but this now, is, now you think about it, you now, know I'm wrong. <laughs> now I do think about that. Yeah. Do you think about those worst case scenarios when you go into new business and ventures as well? No, I listen to my instinct. I just think, do I want to do this? Does it make sense? Do I feel like it's the right fit? Let's go. Because you can never really tell until you're in it is the truth. Right. So when I mean, I'm not saying I don't do due diligence. I'm not saying I don't look at the numbers and look at the, the opportunity. Of course I do. But I also rely very heavily on my instinct to say, okay, let's give this a crack and see what happens. This is amazing. How do you process the failure of your business? Moving on. Yeah, you do, but, but you have to learn from it, right? So I'm not so blase that I'm like, oh, well, that didn't work out. I, I unpack it. What is it about me that I need to learn in this situation? So how do you do this? Well, to, well this is the, 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 the one more thing. So all these multimillionaires like yourself, you know, talk about this, you know, learning from mistake. I want to know, what is it like? Do you actually sit yourself down, write yourself a bit of a, you know, reflection? Note? Well, I don't know what they do. I don't know what they do. But what I do is I ask myself where it went wrong and where did I go wrong? And you can lie to other people, but you've got to be honest with yourself. Is there a skill set that I'm lacking? Did I go against my instinct? Did I make some bad judgment calls? Was it my responsibility 100% or could it be there were some other factors at play? And it's usually a mixture of all of those things. But the number one thing for me is, is when I do something I really don't want to do, it never works out. Wow. Amazing. Now, Superwoman, how do you look after yourself in terms of the routines and in terms of the self-care? I, I know there's a this holidays thing. And, yeah. and, and going away and hanging out with people. But what is it on a daily basis that you do to help oh. your, yourself function? I've got to be honest. I've been feeling super lethargic recently. And, Have you know, you? yeah. And I feel like I need to lose these lockdown 10 pounds like everybody else in the country does. <laughs> I've been going for, so I run every morning, but where I, I would usually do like three, four miles, I've been doing two miles. And, but I've been doing it because my belief is this, is that when you get out of routine, that's the hardest thing. So even though I don't feel like running three miles or four miles, if I want to, but I don't feel like it. I'm still running two miles because it's a routine. And I figure, okay, you just keep doing this. 
And there's going to come a morning where you're going to go, yeah, you know what, Shah, we can do the three miles today. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to go straight back into the routine of being able to do the three miles. I have massages every week. That's really, that's my big thing. Yeah, every week. With, particularly with running, you almost need it for health benefits, not just for relaxation. I feel like for my mental benefit, it's like I just need to switch off and reflexology. Yeah. Got so I'm, I'm good like that. I have someone come to the home. Yeah, um, need to get context. Yeah. There's an app called Urban Massage, and it's a fantastic. I've heard of it. Yeah, you should use it. It's really, really good. Yeah, it's really good. And then again, I feel like my partner should get partner of the year award as part of my birthday present. He actually bought me a massage table, like a proper full on massage table. And like he will, he will give me a proper massage whenever I ask. In fact, funny enough, he takes offense. If he comes home and I've booked a massage, he literally takes offense. He's like, I can't believe you've booked a massage. Why didn't you just ask me? I'm like, babe, you've had a long day at work. He's like, I bought the massage bed for you to use. You don't have to pay for someone to come in. I'm like, all right, babe, I'll let you know next time. Okay, I'm just trying to catch that just so that I could play it to my husband to we in this recording. I just need to make sure he listens to this. <laughs> yeah, I've got a good one. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. He's, he's, he's a keeper. How long have you been together for? Three years. Wow, amazing. So yeah, we managed to get all through lockdown together 24-7. Yeah, true. So the, the majority of your relationship was in the in the lockdown. Yeah, yeah. yeah first year was that, and the next two years was. So, yeah, and that's a, that's a real test. Lockdown yeah. has been a test on every relationship, right? Yeah, yeah. Equally amplified, isn't it? Of good, good or bad things. And I'm not going to pretend we didn't have our arguments during lockdown because we absolutely did. But if I was also being honest, probably nine, nine out of 10 of those were my fault. <gasps> and you admitted. Yeah. A, oh, there you go. They see that. That's the, the that's biggest it. challenge we have is I have zero patience and he, ha he, has a much, <laughs> he has a much slower pace than I do. Mm. Like, He's, he's like got a super good work ethic, but he's very, you know, at this pace. And I'm just like, come on, I got to go. Let's go. Like, where are you? Like, he's like, I don't understand. Why does it take you five minutes to have a shower? I'm like, I don't understand. How does it take you 20 minutes to have a shower? He's like, you're the only woman that I know that goes out of the, the house with her hair wet. I was like, I've got shit to do. Let's go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, so the pace, the pace. So who is it? Are you slowing down or he is now feeding We're trying to find a middle ground. We're trying to find a middle ground. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the other thing that is quite that's quite hilarious is I, I I joke to him all the time. He's like, Oh, look, there's a rule. Let's go follow it. And I'm like, I don't know what a rule is. What are you talking about? <laughs> very structured. It's like, okay, he has his routine, like does the same thing this way. I'm like, can we just go? And he's like, but you know, you can't, you know, you, you can't park there. I was like, it's not a disabled bay. And then there's like, <laughs> no, but you know, look at that. I was like, okay, well you sit in the car and I'll be back in a minute. And you know, like there's, there's constantly out, out, like constantly. There's a rule he wants to follow it. There's a rule, and I want to ignore it. 
not a good advice on the podcast, but (laughs) I don't don't mean ignore rules. Like I would never park, for example, never park in a disabled bay because actually I think it would cause bad karma. Um, But, you know, if a rule doesn't make any sense, like I don't really just blindly follow all the rules because somebody set them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whereas he's like searching for a rule so that he can go follow it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. I hear you. Um, you one, well, not one more interesting thing, but loads of interesting things about you. But you've never drunk alcohol. And what I mean, you never even tried the taste of it. I mean, I'm, I'm not a big alcohol drinker, but this, the concept of never even tasting it, how come? Okay, so that is not entirely true. I tasted whiskey when I was 14 or 15, and that was the first and last time. So the taste of the whiskey was like, okay, you guys are drinking paint stripper. I'm not touching that stuff. And that was it. I just made up my mind. I'm very like binary. Okay, so that tasted like paint stripper. So in my mind, all alcohol tastes like paint stripper. So I'm not drinking alcohol. The fact that there are, you know, I'm sure there'd be some alcohol that I like, but what's the point? Like at this point in my life, I, I'm not going to start drinking. I've got no desire to. Yeah, fair enough. But, uh, you know, particularly going through teenage years, surely, you know, at some point it was like, oh, let me try it. What, what? Like, not even that. Wow. If anything, my kind of rebelliousness was, okay, so all you lot are doing it, I'm not going to do it. Ah, uh, so you just like... So right. Yeah, I kind of had the reverse of peer pressure. You want me to do it? I'm not going to do it. It would have been easier if people said, oh, no, you know, like, Shah couldn't handle that. Shah shouldn't drink that. Then I might have done it to prove that I could. But because everybody's like, oh, come on, Shah, what's wrong with you? You should have it. I was just like, whatever. I'm not drinking it. And that was it. Taking back to your, like, school years, I can't almost make up my mind whether no one ever dared to bully you or you had some experience that made you the way you are. And I can't quite, you know, think of which way was it. I got, I got bullied once and um, I'm very, what's the word? I'm very, um, so when I was in America, my best friend got bullied. And then I ended up in a physical fight with the people who were bullying her. So I'm quite fearless like that. And then in my secondary school, not city, but before my state school, I got bullied once. and. I'm, I'm very good at relationship building and I happened to be friends with a girl who was two years older, who was like six foot. And she was like, she was actually a real bully, but not to me. She'd take me under her wing. And so I learned then your network is your net worth. I was bullied once and that was the end of it. There you go. A bit of both of those theories that I had in my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've never been bullied since. Like, I don't think people would try because, you know, I'm I'm pretty happy to go to war. (laughs) I'm very defensive of the people that I care about. It's more, you know, um, I would never bully anyone, but I would never back down. If I saw someone being bullied, I, I, I couldn't just stand by. 100% with you on that. You often say that you believe we are all made for more. What do you think you were made for? I think fundamentally I was made to 
I hope to highlight to people that no matter where you've come from, no matter what you've been through, you can create a new story for yourself. You can create a new path, a new life, a new career, a new job, a new business that your past doesn't define you. Your place of birth doesn't define you. Your gender, your age, your religion, your race doesn't define you. Uh, Your socioeconomic status doesn't define you. That none of these things define you. Um, That the one thing that defines you is how you see yourself. Beautiful. Amen to that. Your very first book, because you are a book writer amongst all the things that you do. You're a podcaster as well which I actually would encourage the listeners to go and subscribe and listen because this is a beautiful piece of work that you also created. It's called Building a Bigger Table. And just the name speaks for itself in many ways, Building a Bigger Table. Yeah. And you've also written quite a few books. Um, All of them. All of them. Am I right in saying all of them became bestsellers? They did. All of them became number one bestsellers, yeah. Epic, and one of them was is called actually the first one. Stop talking, start doing. Is there anything that you are not talking about but doing now that you can share with the listeners and myself? Oh, well, I, I should stop talking about my fitness and actually start doing it. That's why I should actually take my own medicine on. Yeah, I guess there's things that I'm doing in the background. I, I'm, I'm creating a new program actually around books um, called The Published Expert, how to get your book written, published and working for you. Because so many people ask me about writing a book and how can it help your, your business? And it can help in just so many ways, but so many people get stuck on it. So I'm really excited about that because we're working with Penguin and Hay House and they're going to... Um, Everybody, all the students who go through the program will be able to actually meet the publishers and pitch their book ideas to the publishers. But we're also going to do some cool work with some software companies, some AI companies to help you write your book, even if you find it really difficult to do the writing. So we'll take some of your written, sorry, some of your spoken work. So maybe filming from a workshop, we'll transcribe that, we'll get some really cool um, AI that will tidy up the copy so that, you know, our promise is at the end of the 12 week program, everybody will be ready to have their book published. So I'm really excited about that. We haven't talked about that publicly. That's just a little something I'm working on in the background. A little exclusive that I'm getting. There you go. Do you have the date in mind or month or is it this year? Yeah, well, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, we're launching our mastermind at the end of this month and we'll probably launch the book program at the end of next month. Yeah. And you're saying we, how big is your team? Eight of us. Yeah. Yeah. Small, but mighty. Small, but mighty. Beautiful. I've also got some blitz questions for you. Okay, let's go. The interview. Top book recommendation that changed your mindset? The Magic of Thinking Big by David Schwartz. I've not read it. Very good. It's an oldie, it's a real oldie, and it's just about the concept that if you're going to do something, you might as well do it big. That if you're going to put effort in, you just go all out, give it your whole, give it all your effort. Beautiful. Household tasks you'd like to outsource, which we touched on. <laughs> oh, I don't need to. My, my, my lovely partner outsources. He's my outsourcer. <laughs> anything, yeah. anything you do in the house? 
that you would like to also is there? <laughs> I, I sound so bougie, but honestly, there is nothing because either my cleaner does it. I, like I don't do any ironing ever. I hate it. I, I actually really enjoy cooking and I really love making a meal for people because I really love making people feel loved and, and cater for. But the day to day, I'm just, I'm not interested. Like I could eat, I could eat porridge and egg whites and broccoli every day for the rest of my life. And I wouldn't, well, maybe a bit of avocado and I'd be fine. So yeah, all the tasks are either done by my lovely cleaner or my partner. Even more lovely partner, yes. Favorite meal of the day and why? Breakfast. Breakfast. I love a good breakfast. My favorite food is sushi, which I don't have for breakfast. But my favorite yeah. breakfast is, yeah, I like it when I've done a really, like, a, a really good, like, five-mile run and then I end up at, like, grind and have a big veggie breakfast. Yeah. Veggie breakfast. Are you vegetarian? Yeah. A pescatarian. So I have fish, but not meat. Oh, I see. Is, it, is this something that um, you consciously decided to do? I've... I've been a pescatarian since I was 13 oh wow just because you don't like meat or is this the I I watched a program when I was young about how meat was reared and raised and I was like no I don't want any of that just stopped I literally I'm that's what I mean I'm very binary I woke up I said to my mom I'm gonna be a vegetarian and she's like okay whatever sure like you know I think a lot of teenagers do that and that was it I never ate meat again ever wow um that's the ter- determination you know yeah it's exactly I mean, what you need in life and in business top choice for a famous house guest and it can be current or historic figure oh oh i don't know i don't want to do the usual one that everybody says i want oprah winfrey i want who do i want i know I, do you know what i've not had anyone saying that maybe one guest but no there's so many. I'm going to go with Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix. Okay, what would the conversation be about? Well, I think he's probably one of the best actors of our generation. He went through loss when he was young, lost his brother, River. He's also really crazy and eccentric and like doesn't fit into any box known to mankind. I call my, my son's middle name is Joaquin because of Joaquin Phoenix. Cause I, yeah. Okay. Um, but this admiration comes from years back. Yeah. I've just always thought he was a great artist. Yeah. I don't know because I could have business conversations with Steve Jobs. I could have, you know, like Barack, we all of these things, but actually I'm kind of like intrigued by Joaquin Phoenix. So. Do you know him personally? Have you met him? I wish, no. I tell you, I tell you who else I would then, if it wasn't Joaquin. So Joaquin would be the guy, Reese Witherspoon for the female. Ah. I talked to her about her new production company, which I think she's sold, um, which is purely female founded, led. It is very big direct. on, yeah. On she's amazing. Feminism and women yeah. in, 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 in business and life and politics everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a good one as well. Favorite dream house and location? Oh, so it would be a toss up between some big fuck off house in Sandy Lanes in Barbados or or it would be in 
Santa Barbara in California. Because you've been, um, you you were born in the US, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And then moved here, but you'd love to one day, maybe. No, maybe, uh, maybe. But I I love the lifestyle in California and, and some beautiful houses in Santa Barbara, yeah. But it probably in reality, I'd end up in Barbados because I kind of think the the more chilled out vibe suits me. There's there's just just you know to balance out your your nature yeah. of the action. <laughs> exactly, it's just like it's a nice. It just brings me down to earth. Yeah, beautiful. Shai, it's been the most incredible conversation. I'm so grateful <laughs> you. you found You're the time in your diary. It's it's, it's it's been unbelievable and I would encourage the listeners to go on the website to check you out in your social media. Is this mainly um, Instagram? That Best, yeah, people can find me on Instagram at Shah Wasman, weird name, easy to find. Or even easier, just go to my website, shaa.com. So Sierra Hotel Alpha Alpha.com. That is the simplest place to find everything. And it's got links to all your workshops, to all Everything. your accolades Everything. and yeah. your podcasts. I'm yeah. looking forward to be hearing and watching your journey and admiring and learning whichever way we can. So thank you so much. Pleasure. Absolutely. Pleasure. Loved it. Thank you so much, darling. Thank you. Mama. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beehive Household Podcast. Please don't forget to like, leave your review and share with your friends and family. For more information on the design services we offer, visit our website www.natalialloydinteriors.com. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook under Natalia Lloyd Interiors, as well as on LinkedIn. Bye now, till the next episode. Look after yourselves and your loved ones.